0: Section 24 of Volume 1d of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1d section twenty four chapter forty one part four but though the commons in their humble petition to the prelates had touched so gently and submissively on the ecclesiastical grievances the queen in a speech from the throne at the end of the session could not forbear taking notice of their presumption and reproving them for those murmurs which for fear of offending her they had pronounced so low as not directly to reach her royal ears after giving them some general thanks for their attachment to her and making professions of affection to her subjects she told them that whoever found fault with the church threw a slander upon her since she was appointed by god supreme ruler over it and no heresies or schisms could prevail in the kingdom but by her permission and negligence that some abuses must necessarily have place in everything but she warned the prelates to be watchful for if she found them careless of their charge she was fully determined to depose them that she was commonly supposed to have employed herself in many studies particularly philosophical by which i suppose she meant theological and she would confess that few whose leisure had not allowed them to make profession of science had read or reflected more that as she could discern the presumption of many in curiously canvassing the scriptures and starting innovations she would no longer endure this licentiousness but meant to guide her people by God's rule in the just mean between the corruptions of Rome and the errors of modern sectaries, and that as the Romanists were the inveterate enemies of her person, so the other innovators were dangerous to all kingly government, and under color of preaching the word of God, presumed to exercise their private judgment and to censure the actions of the prince from the whole of this transaction we may observe that the commons in making their general application to the prelates as well as in some particular articles of their petition showed themselves wholly ignorant no less than the queen of the principles of liberty and a legal constitution and it may not be unworthy of remark that elizabeth so far from yielding to the displeasure of the parliament against the ecclesiastical commission granted before the end of her reign a new commission in which she enlarged rather than restrained the powers of the commissioners during this session of parliament there was discovered a conspiracy which much increased the general animosity against the catholics And still further widened the breach between the religious parties William Parry a Catholic gentleman had received the Queen's pardon for a crime by which he was exposed to capital punishment and having obtained permission to travel he retired to Milan and made open profession of his religion which he had concealed while he remained in England he was here persuaded by palmio a jesuit that he could not perform a more meritorious action than to take away the life of his sovereign and his benefactress the nuncio campeggio when consulted approved extremely of this pious undertaking and parry though still agitated with doubts came to paris with an intention of passing over to england and executing his bloody purpose he was here encouraged in the design by thomas morgan a gentleman of great credit in the party and though watts and some other catholic priests told him that the enterprise was criminal and impious he preferred the authority of ragazzoni the nuncio at paris and determined to persist in his resolution He here wrote a letter to the Pope which was conveyed to Cardinal Como. He communicated his intention to the Holy Father, and craved his absolution and paternal benediction. He received an answer from the Cardinal, by which he found that his purpose was extremely applauded, and he came over to England with the full design of carrying it into execution. So deeply are the sentiments of morality engraved in the human breast, that it is difficult even for the prejudices of false religion totally to efface them. And this bigoted assassin resolved, before he came to extremities, to try every other expedient for alleviating the persecutions under which the Catholics, at that time, labored. He found means of being introduced to the Queen, assured her that many conspiracies were formed against her and exhorted her as she tendered her life to give the romans some more indulgence in the exercise of their religion but lest he should be tempted by the opportunity to assassinate her he always came to court unprovided with every offensive weapon he even found means to be elected member of parliament and having made a vehement harangue against the severe laws enacted this last session, was committed to custody for his freedom, and sequestered from the house. His failure in these attempts confirmed him the more in his former resolution, and he communicated his intentions to Neville, who entered zealously into the design, and was determined to have a share in the merits of its execution a book newly published by dr allen afterwards created a cardinal served further to efface all their scruples with regard to the murder of an heretical prince and having agreed to shoot the queen while she should be taking the heir on horseback they resolved if they could not make their escape to sacrifice their lives in fulfilling a duty so agreeable as they imagined to the will of god and to true religion. But while they were watching an opportunity for the execution of their purpose, the Earl of Westmorland happened to die in exile, and as Neville was next heir to that family, he began to entertain hopes that by doing some acceptable service to the Queen, he might recover the estate and honours which had been forfeited by the rebellion of the last Earl. He betrayed the whole conspiracy to the ministers, and Parry, being thrown into prison, confessed the guilt both to them and to the jury who tried him. The letter from Cardinal Como being produced in court put Parry's narrative beyond all question, and that criminal, having received sentence of death, suffered the punishment which the law appointed for his treasonable conspiracy. These bloody designs now appeared everywhere, as the result of that bigoted spirit by which the two religions, especially the Catholic, were at this time actuated. Somerville, a gentleman of the county of Warwick, somewhat disordered in his understanding, had heard so much of the merit attending the assassination of heretics and persecutors, that he came to London with a view of murdering the Queen— but having betrayed his design by some extravagances, he was thrown into prison, and there perished by a voluntary death. About the same time, Balthazar Gerard, a Burgundian, undertook and executed the same design against the prince of Orange, and that great man perished at Delft by the hands of a desperate assassin, who, with a resolution worthy of a better cause, sacrificed his own life in order to destroy the famous restorer and protector of religious liberty the flemings who regarded that prince as their father were filled with great sorrow as well when they considered the miserable end of so brave a patriot as in their own forlorn condition from the loss of so powerful and prudent a leader and from the rapid progress of the spanish arms The prince of parma had made every year great advances upon them had reduced several of the provinces to obedience and had laid close siege to antwerp the richest and most populous city of the netherlands whose subjection it was foreseen would give a mortal blow to the already declining affairs of the revolted provinces the only hopes which remained to them arose from the prospect of foreign succor being well acquainted with the cautious and frugal maxims of elizabeth they expected better success in france and in the view of engaging henry to embrace their defence they tendered him the sovereignty of their provinces but the present condition of that monarchy obliged the king to reject so advantageous an offer the duke of anjou's death which he thought would have tended to restore public tranquillity in delivering him from the intrigues of that prince plunged him into the deepest distress and the king of navarre a professed huguenot being next heir to the crown the duke of guise took thence occasion to revive the catholic league and to urge henry by the most violent expedients to seek the exclusion of that brave and virtuous prince. Henry himself, though a zealous Catholic, yet because he declined complying with their precipitate measures, became an object of aversion to the League, and as his zeal in practising all the superstitious observances of the Romish Church was accompanied with the very licentious conduct in private life, the Catholic faction in contradiction to universal experience, embraced thence the pretext of representing his devotion as mere deceit and hypocrisy. Finding his authority to decline, he was obliged to declare war against the Huguenots, and to put arms into the hands of the League, whom, both on account of their dangerous pretensions at home and their close alliance with Philip, he secretly regarded as his more dangerous enemies constrained by the same policy he dreaded the danger of associating himself with the revolted protestants in the low countries and was obliged to renounce that inviting opportunity of revenging himself for all the hostile intrigues and enterprises of philip the states reduced to this extremity sent over a solemn embassy to london and made anew an offer to the queen of acknowledging her for their sovereign on condition of obtaining her protection and assistance elizabeth's wisest counsellors were divided in opinion with regard to the conduct which she should hold in this critical and important emergence some advised her to reject the offer of the states and represented the imminent dangers as well as injustice attending the acceptance of it they said that the suppression of rebellious subjects was the common cause of all sovereigns and any encouragement given to the revolt of the flemings might prove the example of a like pernicious license to the english and that though princes were bound by the laws of the supreme being not to oppress their subjects the people never were entitled to forget all duty to their sovereign or transfer from every fancy or disgust or even from the justest ground of complaint their obedience to any other master that the queen in the succours hitherto afforded the flemings had considered them as laboring under oppression not as entitled to freedom and had intended only to admonish philip not to persevere in his tyranny without any view of ravishing from him those provinces which he enjoyed by hereditary right from his ancestors that her situation in ireland and even in england would afford that powerful monarch sufficient opportunity of retaliating upon her and she must thenceforth expect that instead of secretly fomenting faction he would openly employ his whole force in the protection and defence of the catholics that the pope would undoubtedly unite his spiritual arms to the temporal ones of spain and that the Queen would soon repent her making so precarious an acquisition in foreign countries by exposing her own dominions to the most imminent danger. Other counselors of Elizabeth maintained a contrary opinion. They asserted that the Queen had not even from the beginning of her reign, but certainly had not at present the choice whether she would embrace friendship or hostility with Philip, that by the whole tenor of that prince's conduct it appeared that his sole aims were the extending of his empire and the entire subjection of the protestants under the specious pretence of maintaining the Catholic faith, that the provocations which she had already given him, joined to his general scheme of policy, would forever render him her implacable enemy and as soon as he had subdued his revolted subjects he would undoubtedly fall with the whole force of his united empire on her defenceless state that the only question was whether she would maintain a war abroad and supported by allies or wait until the subjection of all the confederates of england should give her enemies leisure to begin their hostilities in the bowels of the kingdom, that the revolted princes, though in a declining condition, possessed still considerable force, and by the assistance of England, by the advantages of their situation, and by their inveterate antipathy to Philip, might still be enabled to maintain the contest against the Spanish monarchy that their maritime power united to the queens would give her entire security on the side from which alone she could be assaulted and would even enable her to make inroads on philip's dominions both in europe and the indies that a war which was necessary could never be unjust and self-defence was concerned as well in preventing certain dangers at a distance as in repelling any immediate invasion, and that since hostility with Spain was the unavoidable consequence of the present interests and situations of the two monarchies, it were better to compensate that danger and loss by the acquisition of such important provinces to the English empire. Amidst these opposite counsels, the queen, apprehensive of the consequences attending each extreme was inclined to steer a middle course and though such conduct is seldom prudent she was not in this resolution guided by any prejudice or mistaken affection she was determined not to permit without opposition the total subjection of the revolted provinces whose interests she deemed so closely connected with her own, but foreseeing that the acceptance of their sovereignty would oblige her to employ her whole force in their defence, would give umbrage to her neighbours, and would expose her to the reproach of ambition and usurpation, imputations which hitherto she had carefully avoided, she immediately rejected this offer. She concluded a league with the States on the following conditions, that she should send over an army to their assistance of five thousand foot and a thousand horse, and pay them during the war, that the general, and two others whom she should appoint, should be admitted into the council of the States, that neither party should make peace without the consent of the other, that her expenses should be refunded after the conclusion of the war, and that the towns of Flushing and the Briel, with the castle of Ramekins, should in the meantime be consigned into her hands by the way of security. The queen knew that this measure would immediately engage her in open hostilities with Philip. Yet was not she terrified with the view of the present greatness of that monarch? The continent of Spain was at that time rich and populous, and the late addition of Portugal, besides securing internal tranquillity, had annexed an opulent kingdom to Philip's dominions, had made him master of many settlements in the East Indies, and of the whole commerce of those regions, and had much increased his naval power, in which he was before chiefly deficient all the princes of italy even the pope and the court of rome were reduced to a kind of subjection under him and seemed to possess their sovereignty on terms somewhat precarious the austrian branch in germany with their dependent principalities was closely connected with him and was ready to supply him with troops for every enterprise all the treasures of the west indies were in his possession and the present scarcity of the precious metals in every country of europe rendered the influence of his riches the more forcible and extensive the netherlands seemed on the point of relapsing into servitude and small hopes were entertained of their withstanding those numerous and veteran armies which under the command of the most experienced generals he employed against them even france which was wont to counterbalance the austrian greatness had lost all her force from intestine commotions and as the catholics the ruling party were closely connected with him he rather expected thence an augmentation than a diminution of his power upon the whole such prepossessions were everywhere entertained concerning the force of the spanish monarchy that the king of sweden when he heard that Elizabeth had openly embraced the defence of the revolted Flemings, scrupled not to say that she had now taken the diadem from her head and adventured it upon the doubtful chance of war. Yet was this princess rather cautious than enterprising in her natural temper. She ever needed more to be impelled by the vigour than restrained by the prudence of her ministers. But when she saw an evident necessity, she braved danger with magnanimous courage, and trusting to her own consummate wisdom, and to the affections however divided of her people, she prepared herself to resist, and even to assault, the whole force of the Catholic monarch. The Earl of Leicester was sent over to Holland at the head of the English Auxiliary Forces. He carried with him a splendid retinue, being accompanied by the young Earl of Essex, his son-in-law, the Lords Audley and North, Sir William Russell, Sir Thomas Shirley, Sir Arthur Bassett, Sir Walter Weller, Sir Gervase Clifton, and a select troop of five hundred gentlemen. He was received on his arrival at Flushing by his nephew, Sir Philip Sidney, the governor, and every town through which he passed expressed their joy by acclamations and triumphal arches, as if his presence and the Queen's protection had brought them the most certain deliverance. The States, desirous of engaging Elizabeth still further in their defence, and knowing the interest which Leicester possessed with her, conferred on him the title of governor and captain-general of the United Provinces, appointed a guard to attend him, and treated him in some respects as their sovereign. But this step had a contrary effect to what they expected. The Queen was displeased with the artifice of the States, and the ambition of Leicester. She severely reprimanded both and it was with some difficulty that after many humble admissions they were able to appease her. End of section 24 chapter 41 part 4